Hello everyone, uh, my name is Andrew Kistner and I am the Marketing Director at the Oxford Center. And welcome back to Talk Talks. This is episode three. And today I have asked uh, Dr. Tammy Peterson to join us. Uh, the reason for that is I wanted everyone to kind of hear the why behind the Oxford Center. It's, it's an incredible story. I know some of you have probably seen that uh, on the website and whatnot, but I think it's a good foundation on why we do what we do and you know where we've come you know since the beginning. So I wanted to, to interview Tammy uh, and, and really get the story of Gianna and how special that is. And uh, you know that's why we do what we do. So Tammy, I'm gonna turn it over to you and just lay out the story from the beginning, from when you noticed there were some, you know, the issues that, that we found. Well, I'm gonna go back to 2006. I always say life was good. I was a full-time teacher, um, loved teaching, had two healthy, happy kids. Blake, he um, was in fifth grade. He's my intellectual one. He was into playing chess and the stock market. Um, Love it. And then my daughter, Gianna, she was in fourth grade. She was happy, loved to dance, play with friends, kind of my sp free-spirited child. And um, I ran a coffee shop on the side. I had opened a coffee shop and was having fun. And I will never forget June 17th, 2006. My life changed. Uh, my dad would come over every morning to get the kids up for school and I would go off to the coffee shop and I was at the coffee shop. I was busy baking, getting ready to do muffins and my dad called and unusual and I can remember taking the call and, you know, hey dad, what's going on? And it was like, uh, Gianna woke up and she's walking like she's drunk. I'm like, okay, there's no alcohol in the house. My daughter's nine years old. She's not drunk. So I thought, well, her blood sugar must have dropped. So I'm like, Dad, just give her breakfast. And it was about five minutes later, he called explaining to me that she couldn't get the spoon to her mouth. Um, so I knew it was neurological. And I said, pack her up, get her to the ER. And I quickly left. By the time he got her to the ER, she could no longer walk. And um, we took her in there. They um, started slipping away. I can remember asking them to do a lumbar puncture. They couldn't figure out what was wrong with her. The weird thing is, you know your children so well, she had this smell that was the weirdest smell I had ever smelled. You know you know your child's smell? 100%. As odd as that sounds, I knew something was wrong. She had this smell. I can remember telling the nurse, and she's like, well, maybe she didn't brush her teeth. And I'm like, no, something is wrong with my daughter. And they did the lumbar puncture, and they said if the white cell count was up to 100, that would be really bad, and she would immediately be admitted. And I don't think they really knew what was wrong. And the results came back, and it was 543. Um, she was immediately admitted and started going downhill quick. She, um, she just laid there. She was non-responsive. They... Um, her kidneys started shutting down, so they started just trying to keep her kidneys going with fluid. Her heart wasn't beating in rhythm. She would spontaneously stop breathing, and they basically told me there was nothing they could do. And um, it's I remember the nurse sitting on the bed just telling me, you know, we're going to transfer her to ICU, but if we do, you can't be by her side. Mm. And it's kind of all telling. And um, But Gianna proved him wrong. And 10 days later, she was still alive, still laying there, um, not doing anything. Um, they started feeding her intravenously. 
And then she was eventually transferred to a rehab unit where basically they sent her home saying there's nothing they could do. She, they didn't even suggest OTPT and speech. They gave her evaluations but said she was not responsive. So at this point, they pretty much sent her home t- to die. It's, uh, just enjoy yeah. your last few, however long that might be, you know, take care of her, reduce pain and just yeah. let her go. So she had a real severe viral encephalitis and they said that type of virus would trap itself in the brain and just continue to do damage. And things we saw, she was legally blind. She was nonverbal. She had ataxia. She couldn't walk, obviously. Um, she um, didn't talk. And um, the seizure activity did start getting worse. Um, I did schedule her for OTPT and speech. And I'll tell you, some areas we saw a little improvement. Um, yeah. Other areas we saw her regressing. And I would say I would take spend my mornings going to therapy, day in therapy, nights researching. This was pre-Facebook days. Do you remember right. those days? Yep, yeah. yep. Um, Facebook didn't come out till 2006, so kind of later in the year. Yeah, and so Yahoo groups were really big. Okay. And um, I found a Yahoo group with moms from around the world. There was 14 of us, and their kids all were kind of similar to Gianna. And within a month, two kids had passed, one from seizures, one just passed in the sleep, and it really hit home. And then I get an email, private message from one of the moms, and I can remember reading this email, and it started, have you ever heard of HBOT? I'm like, no. And it said, my son, who was a near-drowned victim, did it. And the girl in the chamber, didn't know what that was, next to my son, sounds like your daughter. And I continued reading. She came in on a gurney, then a wheelchair, then a walker, then left dancing. Mm. When I read that left dancing, Gianna used to be a dancer. Like, I've got to try this. And I remember going, I don't know what HBOT is, but for the first time, I had hope. And um, so... Days in therapies, nights researching, trying to figure out how on earth I can get this, get to this hope that was hanging out in front of me. And I quickly realized the United States does not treat neurological conditions in hyperbarics. Now, we know that now. Other countries do. Um, I found it very interesting. If she was a racehorse, she would have qualified for hyperbarics. Um, They're very valuable. Yeah. Kind of made me feel like my daughter had no value. And um, it was tough. And it was, um, I could never leave her. She was really hard to care for. She required 24-hour care. And even though my parents were very involved, they just couldn't deal with her. She would scream for hours. And it was, life was tough. I was sending my son off to camp or anything to give him some normalcy as I was trying to care for Gianna. And now trying to figure out how to get whatever this HBOT was. And So where did you go from, you get this letter, it says HBOT. You don't know what this is. So you went to, I'm guessing, Google at that point and just started research. What, well, first, what is it? Yeah. Um, so I realized kind of what it was. I don't know that I really understood everything. I just wanted to know, was it safe? And could I find any research to treat viral encephalitis and hyperbarics? By the way, the answer was no. But other countries were using this. So I'm trying to figure out, okay, how do I get out of the country? How do I do this? I was exhausted. I had no money. I wasn't working. Um, couldn't figure out how to do it. And still had the coffee shop. By the way, it was going under. Had no money there because I wasn't working there. And my mom told me one Saturday, just to get out of the house and go. I'll watch her this morning. And first person that came in was a doctor that... Um, 
also um, was a professor at Wayne State, ER doc, in typical Western medicine doctor, um, but I, a great guy. And I can remember making his drink and I was all excited and he came in all the time because he would do papers. He did research and was a professor too. And so I knew him and so I'm all excited to share with him this email that I have from this mom from Malaysia. And Probably thinking he's a doctor, he might know something about this, oh, yeah. he might be a volunteer. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah, I get it. But I did tell him at the start, um, I really don't care what your opinion is. I'm going to do this anyways. <laughs> like, let me set the foundation here. But I can remember starting going, have you ever heard of HBOT? And I'm going on and on about this email and how I think it's going to help my daughter. And I can remember looking at me and saying, Tammy, stop. And my mind goes, he's going to shut me down. And he goes, I just got trained as a hyperbaric doctor. Mm. Can you imagine? You look at God's timing. It's yep. beautiful. Yep. And... He didn't shoot me down. He's like, don't leave the country. Because at this point, I'm going to leave the country. And his thought is there's no doctor there. Right. Or go to some ho-dunk place. I, I didn't care. I had to try this. It was my only hope. And he um, he said, I know a doctor who's doing research in viruses and hyperbarics. I don't know if he can help you. But promise me you'll give me the weekend to look into this. And he gave me Dr. Guthrie's number. Actually, he gave Dr. Guthrie my number. And this doctor called me on a Saturday. Wow. It was the most beautiful soul I think I've ever met. Um, Dr. Guthrie, don't think he really believed it would help my daughter. She was pretty severe. But he was willing to listen. And we talked all Saturday and Sunday. He called me back. And um, he worked some of his magic. And he was able to kind of bypass some things. And he wasn't licensed in Michigan. So he couldn't really do anything, but he had trained doctors in Michigan, but he had gone to the hospital, he had done the training, and asked if they would at least evaluate her for consideration. So I can remember, I'm all excited, we've got hope. And I can remember putting Gianna in her little wheelchair and um, pushing her off, getting her to the doctors, my to the hospital to be evaluated in their hyperbarics. And my parents were in tow and you know I'm pushing them in and they put us in this teeny tiny little room and the doctor's like, why are you here? We treat wounds and burns. <laughs> and I'm like, well, I think this is going to help my daughter who's in the wheelchair, non-responsive. And he's like, uh, we don't treat children. And we don't do brain damage. And I'm like, I have evidence. I can show you this is going to work. And I pulled out a copy of my email. And I handed it to him. <laughs> and he didn't find that evidence. Um, and I'm trying to fight for my daughter's life. At this point, I'm trying to convince this only guy that I see hope for my daughter. Will you please let her try? Will you let her try? And there was some doctors in the hall. I think they were all trying to figure out what the heck I was doing in there. And there was a foreign doctor. I don't even remember. I just remember he was a different nationality and had an accent. I only remember where from. He stepped in and said, we do this in my country all the time. And... The doctor over the hyperbarics looked at me and said, we'll try. Wow. Yeah. That's huge. And that... it, 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 so you can imagine the yeah, hope. Right. They even brought me down and showed me the chambers. I can remember showing Gianna the chamber. She didn't talk at the time. I can remember bending down and whispering in her ear, I think this is going to help you. And she didn't respond. Right. Um, but I had hope. I was so excited. I was supposed to start. I, it seems like that must have been about a Wednesday, and I was going to start the next Monday. 
And the next day I got a call from the hospital and I can remember the lady on the phone, must've been registration. I'm not even sure who it was telling me, um, you know, this is private pay. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. You know, it's $2,000 a treatment. I know, I know. You know, she needs this five times a week, a long time. I know, I know. And I kept promising her, I'll raise the money. I'll raise the money. I already had people coming to me saying they would help me fundraise. And it's still hard today. This is when she told me I had to have $72,000 up front. $72,000. That was the down payment to treat my daughter. I literally had this price tag hanging over my daughter's life that I knew I couldn't make. I can walk in the house going, if it's not nailed down, sell it. That's when you quickly realize you have nothing. Right. <laughs> um, my parents said they'd put their house on the market. I didn't think she would live for them to sell their house. I was panicking. Um, I actually called the insurance company at that point and started fighting. Of course, I wanted the doctor. She had three neurologists who all told me it was a waste of time and it wouldn't work. In fact, tried to do everything to stop her from doing it. The one neurologist actually called her family doctor and convinced him not to help me. And I kept asking, is it going to hurt her? Nope, it's not going to work. You're wasting your money. Like, why do you care yeah, about what, my what business, money? Yeah, what business of, is that of yours? You don't tell me what car to drive, where to go on vacation, what house to buy, but you think you have the right to tell me where to spend money on my daughter's life? They did. And um, I kept arguing with the insurance company. No doctor supporting me. Um, no research, although I thought the letter from Malaysia was enough research. And calling them, just trying to convince them to help. Eventually, we were able to secure the money. Um, God wasn't going to close that door. And um, off we were. I did interrupt. It was a kid in college once. <clears throat> Whenever I hear this story, because I've heard it a few times, it reminds me of this. Um, he uh, he was short. He couldn't afford college. But he was there, and he, they wouldn't let him take his exams. And uh, he walked in. Uh, one day, and this was a Bible college, he walked in and said, uh, my tuition's paid for. I don't know how, I don't know who. Um, and another kid in the room said, hey, God owns the, the cattle on a thousand hills. He must have just sold one. <laughs> and I, to this day, I love it that God, money's the easiest thing. That's oh, yeah. easy, that, it, it, it's nothing to God. Yeah, yeah. It's, you know, it's like we thinking we can manipulate God's plan. He's got it all planned out. Um, so... I came out getting Gianna ready to go her first day. My dad came with me. And, you know, it's a lot of work taking care of a child in a wheelchair. You you know this. Um, she was uh, 10 years old at this time. She was nine when she had the brain injury, and she was 10 at this time. So you're lifting a child and getting her ready and um, driving to the hospital. And But I had hope and took her in, and they took her back to prep her. And they, the doctor came up to me and said, you know, you're wasting our time and you're wasting her time. She doesn't have a chance and you need to face it. I'm like, and I'm paying you $2,000 a day. Leave me alone. Yep. Um, and they let me go into the room with her. And I can remember pushing her in and again saying, baby girl, I think this is going to help you. I think you're going to get better. And she just gave me that same blank look as we laid her into the chamber and watching her go in. I sat by her the whole time. I don't know what I was thinking, but 
when they pulled her out, the first thing I did was bend over and say, baby, can you talk? Do you think you can move your legs? And it was the same little girl I put in. But the next morning, I can remember our typical routine. You would lift her out of bed and get her dressed and get her bathed and set her in the wheelchair and feed her and lift her to the car, put the wheelchair in the car, drive her to therapy, lift her out of the car into the wheelchair. You know the gig. Yep. It's a lot of work. And um, we knew the place. The whole place knew us. We came every day for therapy. And I can remember pushing her in, and I'd always go over and pick her up and lay her down on the mat, waiting for the physical therapist to come. And this time, when I went to lay her down, she didn't lay down. She kneeled. She couldn't do that the day before. Not only could she kneel, she picked up a ball, threw it against the trampoline, catching it, singing the chicken dance. She then went to OT and they tested her grip. I had them do all sorts of assessments ahead of time because right. to be honest, I was a little skeptical. And so I had all these assessments done. And her grip strength went up like, I, I have it written down somewhere, like 28 pounds, something crazy in one hand and like 14 pounds the other. She was all of a sudden picking up these pegs, putting them in a hole. She couldn't even do the pincher grip before. By Friday of that week, she um, was back cognitively. Wow. She could see. She could talk. Uh, she was present. Um, it was amazing. Um, but I knew she would never walk. And the infection had gone into her spine. And I can remember that Saturday just telling her, you know, we're going to be in a wheelchair. And I can remember looking at me saying, but mommy, I just want to dance. I'm like, God has a different plan for you, baby. And she even went to church that Sunday. And the Sunday school teachers came out crying, going, she's praising God in a wheelchair. Yes. That's, that's God's sovereignty. Yep. And so she went back to every day. It would be therapy in the morning, hyperbarics in the afternoon. Therapy in the morning, hyperbarics. The next week, we were doing our hyperbarics. She gets the therapy. And she weight-bared for the first time. She actually stood with the walker. By Friday, so she's now two weeks into hyperbaric, she took her walker and threw it at her therapist and said, I'm ready for canes. It's big. Um, two months later, she danced the Nutcracker Ballet. Mm. Back in school, she's fine. But, I, you know, I just wanted to go back to my normal life. I, I wanted to go back to teaching and running the coffee shop and having two healthy, happy kids. And have you ever had an argument with God? Yep. Many a times. <laughs> yep. Um, I've discovered I'm a little stubborn and <laughs> God doesn't whisper in my ear. I felt like he was shouting in my ear. Um, I think I was ready. I can remember sitting in, I taught special ed my whole time since I started teaching special ed in 1985. Loved working with special needs kids. And I can remember sitting in my den when I realized how it helped Gianna, just weeping for all the other kids that it could help. I, I was, it just hit me. But then I wanted to go back to my normal life. Right. And um, it's when God told me, nope, you need to open a hyperbaric center. I did try to explain to God, you have to understand, I am a teacher. I have no medical degree. I have no business degree. And I have no money. 
Well, God didn't listen to that. Those are kind of the three things that you would think would be prerequisites for, yeah. for opening a center like that. And there was even a guy at the coffee shop, um, Gary Meyer, still very much in my life today. He was getting his MBA. And I'm telling him this. Any normal, brilliant businessman like him should have said, um, you really can't start a business with nothing. But, oh, by the way, this is 2008. Um, leading into it, I started working on 2007. Gary actually helped me write a business plan. Um, I can remember him saying, you know, how many treatments a day are you going to do? And I, every question he asked me, I said, I don't know. I just know that I'm supposed to open this center. At the same time, I'm having this argument with God saying, I'm kind of praying for these doors to close. But as long as you keep opening them, I'll walk through them. Looking for any excuse. Any excuse to go, oh, yep, we're not, it's not, not going to work. Can't do it. Yep, can't, can't do it. Yep. Um, and God definitely has a sense of humor. And everything from during training, the one time I didn't have enough money to do the second training, I had enough for the plane ticket. So I went ahead and I flew down knowing I couldn't pay for the, the training or the hotel. Not real smart. And when I got down there, one of the kids called to say in the mail was the credit card that I had applied for. So luckily I could stay in the hotel. Um, but I did my training in hyperbaric medicine, did my safety director, did my wound care. So I did all of that training for the year, designed it, did the business study, um, found a place, found um, the landlord agreed to help me pay for the build out. And the first one was in South, South Lyon. Lyon. Okay. Yes. It's so funny. I looked for months, probably six months to find the right place. And it was literally a half mile from my house. Wow. But it was the right timing. They happened to... Um, it was a dentist who owned it, and his assistant happened to come to the coffee shop all the time. So she knew me, gave me a good word, and how God entwines it all. Yep. And so um, Paul agreed to help me fund the build-out, basically um, keeping it cheap. Like I can remember the kids helping me tile at night and found somebody to do the framing that I could treat his wife in exchange. And we um, it was going okay till we... Um, had to buy the chambers. It's kind of you're opening a hyperbaric center. The chambers are kind of important. And um, Paul actually asked to be a partner with me. And I, I didn't even know what an equity partner was. I hate to admit that. I'm like, but I just felt God telling me, nope, nope. And so I did what any sane person would do. I called the company and ordered the chambers. And I've ordered 14 since then. <laughs> um, they've never not forgot the down payment. They didn't ask me for a down payment. How? This is 2008. I couldn't get a loan. I couldn't get a lease. Everybody's leaving the city. Every business is closing. And I'm thinking I'm going to open a private pay hyperbaric center. And um, so I, um, I prayed about it. And I can remember uh, my family really getting mad. They're like, this is manna from heaven. How are you not taking this money from this guy to help you fund the chambers? And God was telling me no. And so the chambers were on their way from California. That's kind of a little problematic. And I had no money. And um, a guy that worked at the Garden City Hyperbarics called me. And he um, said the owner of their hyperbaric facility was getting ready to or come in. And he wanted to meet with me. He had heard what I was doing. He was really into his big thing was going to be cancer and hyperbarics. He really was looking at that, but he couldn't treat it in the hospital. It was sort really of like a research perspective? or Yeah. I think he was just curious. He knew okay. I was doing a freestanding, so off-label or not insurance. Right. He owned the Garden City in, I think, Beaumont at the time. And so he could only do insurance covered. And he was curious. 
And my only thought was, oh my gosh, they want to meet for dinner. I'm going to have to pay for dinner. I don't have enough money to pay for dinner. But we did figure out we could afford the Coney Island. So I told them we'll meet at the Coney Island in South Lyon. And um, we got in the parking lot. Now, I'm not telling anybody I have no money for the chambers because that's really embarrassing when you're trying to open a hyperbaric center and you can't buy chambers and they're on their way and you can't pay for them. But um, I knew I was where God wanted me to be. And um, Ken met him in the parking lot. You know, you small talk a little bit in the parking lot. All of a sudden he looked at me and he said, I think I'm here to fund your chambers. I'm like, okay, you know. <laughs> and um, the next day he co-signed on a lease. Wow. Helped me get a lease. There was no ownership. He didn't want any of that. He just wanted to help me. Um, he was a wonderful man of God. Um, and God must have laid it on his heart because I didn't tell him because I wasn't going to tell anybody. So the chambers are funded until the lease company said that you had to pay insurance on them. Apparently you have a lease. You have to provide <laughs> yeah, insurance. Yeah, it's pretty standard practice there. And I was actually um, trying to figure out, they, they wouldn't accept monthly. I had to pay for the whole year up front. I didn't have the money. So I was drywalling at the clinic. As you're sanding, it gives you a lot of prayer time. When I had some guy banging on the door and he came in, he had his son, Billy. Billy had autism. He had heard I was opening and he wanted to treat his son, Billy. And I said, soon as we're open, I'll call you. Right now, obviously I'm covered in drywall. We're drywalling. We had sat down on the table and talked. It was lovely. And um, we walked out together. I'm locking up the business. I'm getting ready to drive off when, again, I hear this banging on my car window this time. And he's handing me a check. And his response was, I'm going to pay this in full. I don't want the discounted rate. I want Billy to treat here. You can imagine it was the exact amount I needed. Yep. Of course so it was. Sovereign God. Why would we be surprised? God provided every need. Um, it was miracle after miracle. Um, the, the chambers are my two favorite because it just, that's the big ones. But I had so many miracles. Um, you know, when God calls you to do something, sometimes you have no choice. Yep. Um, even somebody who's stubborn with no money and no business degree, I still don't have a business degree. Um, luckily, I surround myself with a lot of really intelligent people, and I just get to listen to our amazing God and serve him. Well, I mean, if you think about God, I mean, he could have just said, oh, here, he could have found somebody wealthy to put this through and just to fund the whole thing, but it's not, it's not extravagant. It's not awesome. It's, it doesn't show his true power. But when he, he picks somebody that just has nothing, puts yeah. everything against them and then brings them out of it, yeah. that's when it shines. My favorite quote is, God doesn't call the equipped. He equips the called. Absolutely. And if you don't know that this is the power and hand of God walking in this building, you're missing something. Yep. It's not us. It's not you. You're a brilliant marketer. It's not me. It's God gets to do what we just get to sit back and watch. Um, my daughter... Um, Tell going, me where she's at now. Well, going through this, I have to say, um, she recovered. And I can remember one day talking to her about this. And her response um, was that, I'm, I'm, it, this is hard because I kind of said, you know, God used your illness. And she looked at me and she said, no, God gave me the illness so others could be healed. That was hard. Yep. Like, 
you know, God, and I can remember when she was dying going, you know, God, you love her more than I do. She's yours. I, I can remember that peace he gave me when she was sick. But to realize that my daughter could say, you put me through this journey. She had to learn to walk again, learn to feed herself again and talk. And um, it gave her a love for this. She said she can relate to people totally different. Um, has a passion for the brain, yeah. um, children with autism. Um, she now is, I always say, she's 26 years old, as neurotypical as a 26-year-old female can be. Um, she's she's so smart. She's got um, an undergrad in psychology. Um, she's also got a culinary arts degree. She really believes there's a connection between the gut and the brain. So she studied that, and she's now doing her clinical psych master's, working towards her Ph.D. Awesome. I, what is she... What are her some of her goals? I mean, we'll we'll get her in on a podcast for sure, but you know, this event had in her life. This was created because of it. What does she want to do? You know, I think she's like I am. People always go, "Where are you going?" And I'm right. like, "Where well, are you going?" Kind of depends where God opens the door. That people don't always like that in the business world. You know, we're looking at more locations. Um, we've expanded. Oh my goodness, South Island was. 1,800 square feet. Um, this building is 68,000 square feet. We have Troy that we're looking at expanding. We're going to keep growing. Um, God opens the door. We're there. Um, so we get to go. I get to just do his work and go on his journey. I love it. Um, so we're going to – I absolutely love this. And I don't know if anybody at the camera's on me at all, but I was crying just as much as Tammy was because this is real to me as well. And I know a lot of you know my story and with Gracie and – um, we'll get into that another day, um, but uh, we'll close this podcast out. And I wanted to also invite you to watch the next podcast because one of the things Tammy mentioned uh, in this one was they they put a price tag on my daughter's life, and uh, that's when at some point Tammy started the Oxford Kids Foundation. Our next podcast is going to be on that, um, and I think it'll be very special uh, for everyone to hear. So we'll close this episode three out. Please join us again uh, next Thursday for episode four.